listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life Pullman Campus, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. It's uh, really good to be here. Um, This is kind of a surreal uh, place to be for me today. Uh, My uh, walk with God began as, uh, uh, well, the Lord found me when I was an alcoholic and an atheist, and uh, I actually... Uh, started at a college at Boise State, go Broncos. <laughs> what? I didn't say Washington. Uh, you know, I, it started there and uh, my wife and I, uh, after, you know, going through atheism, uh, deciding, okay, there's a God, uh, which God? Uh, okay, it's the Christian God. Okay, after everything I've done in my life, there's no way I could be saved. I'm, I'm going to hell for sure. Uh, oh, the gospel, okay. Um, all right, Jesus did save me. Jesus does love me, but I will have nothing to do with the church. Uh, that was kind of my journey. And at a university, uh, I, I met my wife, at a university, I came to faith after uh, losing it as well. And I actually, the first church service I ever came to was in a theater at Boise State University at a church plant that uh, was met in a theater just like this. So that's where I started all those years ago. Uh, and then 20 years ago, when uh, Aaron and I, Aaron was 24, I was 32. Uh, Aaron kind of came as my uh, youth minister sidekick. Uh, neither of us had, had ever planted a church. We started in a little home with a few couples. And then uh, we had our first worship service in a theater just like this. And uh, it, that, was, that was great. But uh, I, I have to tell you, I'm a little jealous because we started with one guy who had learned a guitar the year before. You guys have a band. In fact, if you don't want them, I'll take them. Uh, we, we have plenty of need for these kind of people where we're at up in Post Falls. No, I, I really, uh, it's an honor to be here. I'm so proud of Thad and I'm proud of this team and it's grateful to be connected in relationship with them. We get to, to meet and talk all the time and so it's just an honor to be here. You know, Another thing that's a little bit surreal, 20 years ago, we were meeting in a home and the first kind of curriculum we walked through as a group was experiencing God. And so you, you folks are doing a series right now on experiencing God. And I just want to say this to you. I had been in ministry for 10 years by the time I, I looked at that for the first time. But it, that, that workbook, that, that biblical walking through scripture, how to hear from God, how to experience God, not just hear about God, that workbook set the stage for everything that happened in the real life ministries movement. It, people ask, how do you go from you know, two couples to 8,000 people and then from there 13 churches and all that? I'll just tell you, we just learned to hear from God, his voice. How do you know where he's working, when he's working? When do you turn left? When do you turn right? When do you stop? When do you back up? It came from us learning how to hear from God in that workbook. And so I really want to encourage you. I know many of you are maybe college students or maybe you're just coming to the, you got plenty of stuff to do, I know. But uh, this, that little devotional that it, you go through and then walking through that with a small group, powerful. 
Here's, here's what I want to challenge uh, you with right away is that I believe that most people who are Christians don't actually experience God the way he would like you to experience him. I, I don't think most people uh, know how to hear his voice or they're constantly hearing him, but they don't connect that that's God's voice. It's just noise to them. And so they miss it. And oftentimes it's because of the way the gospel maybe was shared with you. You, don't, you weren't discipled maybe. You were, you were converted but not discipled. So you, you, you've got your hell insurance, but you don't necessarily know how to walk with God. That's happened to many Christians. The way that most people hear the gospel is God's got a wonderful plan for your life and maybe you're miserable, but if you just invite Jesus into your life, kind of like, you know, you're driving down the road, there's a hitchhiker and the hitchhiker, if you just let him into the car, he'll actually help you get to your destination quicker and easier. But that's not really the gospel. That's not really Christianity. That's kind of the new age hits Christianity, kind of a morphed American version of Christianity. And, and I just want you to know, God has no obligation to bless anything other than his design, his plan. And so most people don't experience God. You know, I, I use the example of, uh, uh, and you probably heard this story many times here, but Jesus is called to the disciples. If you remember the story, Jesus is uh, preaching and he's done some miracles and he's, got, he's already had some interaction with Peter and John and some of the guys. And so one day he's preaching down by the, the lake, uh, by the Sea of Galilee, it's just a big lake. And, and he's, he's preaching there and so many people crowd him that he's, that he's gonna have to move into the water. But there's Peter and John washing their nets. They've been fishing all night. That's what you do in that lake. And you don't fish in the shallow. You fish in, or in the deep. You fish out in, in the shallow. And uh, because the fish, you know, you got to catch them with these nets that, along the shallows. And, and they've been, they didn't catch anything. And Jesus uh, says to the guys, hey, bring your boat over here. Let me get into your boat so I can preach. So they, they say, like, all right. They come over. He gets in the boat. He preaches. Now Jesus says, let's go into the deep and let's go fishing. Cast out the nets. And you remember... Peter says, we've been fishing all night. That's when you fish. Uh, Jesus says, let's go into the deep. You don't fish in the deep. Obviously, Peter's going, okay, I've heard this guy preach. I know he's, you know, John the Baptist has pointed him out. I get it, but he does not know anything about fishing. (laughs) Jesus says, let's go to the deep, cast out the nets in the day in the deep. All right, at your word, they go out. Remember, they catch so many fish that it starts to sink the boats. At this point, Peter falls on his face and he says, get away from me, Lord. He's in the boat. Get away from me, Lord. I'm an unclean man. And Jesus says, don't worry about that. It's okay. Drop your nets. Come and follow me. and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, I want you to notice this is a picture of God's, uh, the way he works. You know, if you're Peter, you're thinking this. Okay, if I can somehow get Jesus to be a part of my fishing business, we're rich. <laughs> right? If I just have Jesus in my boat, then we're going we're, we're ma- we're to make it. We're going to be big. You know, he's a human. He's thinking this stuff, right? I want you to notice what Jesus did. He, he said, I want you to leave it. 
I want you to leave it. Leave the fish. Leave the boats. Come and follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus did the miracles, not so that he could make Peter rich, but so that he would know who, uh, uh, so Peter would know who Jesus is, what he's capable of, so that he would follow him. The gospel is this, that we were lost. I love that song, Arrested. You guys, that song, I'm, I don't know where that's at, but I, I want that at our church because it's so true. We were arrested by sin. We were empty and dead. We, were de- we deserved wrath. We're living in a broken down world. That's, that, that though there's still beauty because of who created it, it's contaminated, it's broken. There's sin and storms and broken relationship. And we deserve death because as a race, we had rebelled against the one who created the world. We did our own thing. Jesus came and paid the price for us. He came down into our world and said, follow me. Out of this brokenness, into eternity, move from broken things and empty things, let's move towards spiritual, eternal things. And because of who he is and what he did for us, we drop it. We're about his business. That was hard for me to, uh, to accept when, uh, you know, I was a college wrestler. I was a three-time college All-American. I, I, I was going to go to the Olympics. I was going to do all these things. And as I came to this place where I'm like, wow, Jesus, the Bible is true. Jesus really is the son of God. As I was, uh, you know, going through the historiography and all the evidence for Christianity, I was like, wow, okay. And so my, the guy who's kind of leading me through all of this is like, okay, now you do understand that if you're going to accept Jesus, you understand that, he's, that you have to say uh, you're going to follow his will. Well, his will is I'm an Olympic champion. Now, maybe. Maybe not. Are you willing to follow him? Uh, no. There was a time where I went from, okay, he is the son of God. I get that. I know I need to be saved, but I wasn't, my disciple maker didn't do this. Well, God's got a wonderful plan for your life and it's gonna be what you want it to be. He made it very clear. If you're gonna accept him, you need to understand that you are going to give your life to him. That was a big sticking point for me. That was like, wow, I, okay, then I'm gonna have to follow him. I, I, there was this time, and I'll never forget what my disciple maker said. He said, Jim, you've already won the nationals, and you've already done this stuff, that, yet, yet you, it wasn't enough. That's why you drink yourself to sleep most nights. You're empty. You can win all you want. Have you had enough? I mean, do you just think more of the same old thing's going to make you happy? You're, you're, you're chasing empty things. Not to say, and maybe he will want you to win, but even if you win without him, it's still empty. You know that. There was this decision I had to make. Will I follow him? I want you to know this. So many of us get caught up in our world trying to invite Jesus on our journey and we get frustrated with him when he doesn't help us avoid problems, avoid pitfalls, avoid battles, help us, bless us, the American dream, the American form of Christianity, more of this, more of that, I got everything. We don't understand what scripture really says. 
I want you to know that God has made it clear throughout scripture, his will. So some of us go, okay, all right, I want to know his will. Some of, one of the greatest quotes in that book that really shaped my thinking was when he said, if you ask the wrong questions, you're going to get the wrong answers. The right question is not, what is God's will for your life? See, that, that, that you're still, it's, it, it's your life, and what is God's will for your life? The right question is, what is God's will and I will attach myself or align myself with his will. See, that was, that. okay, then what is his will? And I had to go through, through scripture, what is his will? I had to go through Jesus saying in Luke 19.10, I have come to seek and to save the world. I had to go through 1 Peter chapter 3, he says, God's not slow as some consider slowness, but he, he waits to return so that Jim Putman can be the Olympic champion. So that Jim Putman can have the business, or the coach, or whatever. No, he says he waits to return because he wishes none to be lost. See, he's not waiting for you to get married. He's not waiting for you to have, that's not really in the overall big scheme. I'm not saying that that won't happen while we're, we're, we're down here on planet earth. I'm just saying he waits to return because he wishes none to be lost. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is Paul writing, and I want you to know that real life ministries, uh, Years ago, this is Real Life Church, so it's a slightly different name. We did it a little bit different over in Post Falls. Real Life Ministries' name came from this passage of scripture. Let me, let me read it to you. By the way, Paul at one point played a part in killing Stephen, one of the first disciples of Jesus. Paul was very likely uh, a part of the Sanhedrin at the time when Jesus was rejected and killed. So Paul played a part in all that. And one of the reasons he did it is because he just was like, there's no way that's the son of God. There's no way, nobody, you know, we don't know where he came from. We know he chose a bunch of tax collectors and, and uh, prostitutes to be around. We know that those disciples he chose, none of them are the educated class. Uh, we know he claims to be the Messiah, you know, no way. And so Paul played a part in that. But he writes this in, in 2 Corinthians 5.16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. In other words, I'm not going to look at things through worldly eyes anymore. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who, notice this, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See that word ministry, minister, real life ministries? Because here's the deal. We didn't call it real life church back then for this reason. With a non-believer, if I say, if I do a word association game with the word church, with a non-believer, if I say, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word church? What words do they use? Bigot, hypocrite, judgmental, boring. So we didn't want the unchurched to, 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 to have that, so we called it ministry. So they'd go, well, what is that? It's funny you should ask. With Christians, we didn't use the word church because sometimes Christians, well, most of the times Christians, 
Think church is a place you go to. You check a box, you stand up, you sit down, you eat a little cracker, you drink a little juice, you check your box 1.2 times a month, and off you go. We didn't want Christians to think church was what they'd been maybe raised to think it was. So we use the word ministry. He says this, you have been reconciled to God through Christ, Paul speaking to believers, and you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. So I want you to get a picture of this. God's will, remember we asked the question, what is God's will? And I'll, I'll align my life with that. God's will is to seek and to save the lost. The church is God's idea. We're called to be disciples who grow in spiritual maturity to be both individually missionaries wherever we work, live, and play, and corporately part of the body of Christ. God wants people to know Jesus, because it's through Jesus that our sins are paid for and we have a relationship with God. We can call him friend. God's will is that people will come to know him. He goes on to say, you are an ambassador of Christ. You are part of a holy nation, a royal priesthood. You belong to God and we speak for God. We beg people or implore, as he says it here, we implore you, be reconciled to God. So I want you to get a picture of this. God's will is very clear. If you're a believer, God's will is that we play a part in partnership with him, helping people to know that Jesus died on the cross for them and God wants to know them. Is this making sense to you? If you have your Bibles, I want you to flip over to Ephesians 2. This, uh, this verse was one of the verses that really changed my life. Chapter 2 verse eight, Paul's been talking about uh, how we were once far from God. And he said, we ourselves, even himself, he was far from God. And uh, he was a by nature object of God's wrath. But then he says this in, in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not the reward for the good things we have done. So no one can boast about it. Verse 10, key verse, and this is in the New Living Translation. I love the way it says this. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good works or good things he planned for us long ago. I want you to get, you're saved by grace through faith. You're saved from being in nature, uh, by nature objects of God's wrath. You're saved from something for something. Scripture says no one comes to the Father unless they're drawn by the Father. In other words, we were far from God. We would have never thought that we were, we would never have known how to be saved if God hadn't sent Jesus down here, right? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is working, drawing, convicting all the time. God is constantly, Jesus said, God is constantly working. He's always working. God is working. It's God who uses people in our life to deliver the message of Jesus to us. He's, draw, he's drew you here today. You're not here by accident. You may think you are. You may think, well, no, my friend invited me. No, the Holy Spirit is working in your life to bring you to him. You have to choose. He's not gonna make you, but you have to choose he drew you to himself, not just so he can save you so that you have hell insurance. He saves you because he has good works for you to do. You're created anew in Christ Jesus. 
four good works which God planned for you to do before time began. He makes you a masterpiece. The Holy Spirit, when you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in. You take, if you're anything like me, I was a violent man, an alcoholic. I was very immoral in every possible way. I had, I had things happen in my life that started me off. People did things to me that started me off. With, with, I had to prove myself. That's why, no one's a wrestler, cuts all that weight, does all that stuff because they're sane. Nobody. I had to prove myself to the world because I had no value. I had to prove I, I was made of something. The problem is when I, when I chose the wrong things and, I, and then I'm the best at it, it had no value. It didn't fix the hole. So that's where the drugs and the alcohol came. And so because I'm a hurt person, a broken person, an angry person, I'm hurting everybody around me. I abused everybody. I broke everything. I was broken and I broke things. And so here's what I thought. Okay, Jesus saved me. He wants me. That was hard for me to accept. He wants me. My disciple maker, he said, he doesn't just want you to be in heaven with him for eternity. He actually wants to make you anew. He wants to, he wants to use even those broken things. See, I saw the things that I'd done in my past as check marks against me. I can't serve the Lord because I was an alcoholic. I can't work with kids because I was this. I can't do this because I was that. I had all these check marks. I'm saved, but I can't be used. And No, I'm a masterpiece. Here's what I discovered. When God comes into your life, he even takes the things that have been done to you and he uses them to shape your ministry because there are other people who have had things done to them and you understand them. He's created you for a mission field. Some of us have been abused. Some of us have just been rebellious and done things and, and we think we were, no, listen, you understand people. God even takes these broken things from our past and he, and he shapes it. I always thought because I'd been an alcoholic, I, listen, we have a huge alcoholic, al alcohol ministry in our church and I get to share with them all the time. I get to be something that God can use as a voice that God can shape you to. I think of people as like a, a picture, you know, God knit me together in my mother's womb like, a, like, a, like an artist who paints this beautiful picture and then it's born into the world. And as time goes by, you know, here's what started to happen. People started to take this picture and they started to take pins and jam it in there. And then they started to cover over stuff and they started doing stuff. And pretty soon as I got older, I took the pin and I started jamming it into it. So people have made this mess and this is this, this thing that was supposed to be beautiful, but it's just a complete cluster now. And so now as I come to the Lord and I go, I don't have anything in my hands to give you for salvation. He says, I don't, I don't want, you, don't, you can't earn it. You can't, just give me the picture. Just give it to me. And he starts to just do stuff with this picture. He starts to just cover stuff up and fill stuff in. And, be, and he takes that jam mark and he turns it into this beautiful thing and these jagged cuts and he starts to, and pretty soon it becomes this monument. And he puts it on there and he says, this is what I can do. In your life, I saved you for a purpose. You can experience God. See, I don't want you to just know about God. I don't just want you to watch that, that, or whoever's worshiping. Go, boy, God sure does use those people. God does. Well, they must be special. Yeah, they're especially tweaked in their own way. And they just said, here's all I got. 
You invited me to come and follow you because you're gonna do something with me. I, I think the reason he chose the, the disciples he did is to say, I can use anybody. I can use a fisherman that's not qualified. In fact, when the, when the Pharisees saw him, they said, that's an ordinary unschooled dude that had been with Jesus. See, when, you, when you're with Jesus, he takes that ordinary and he turns it into something special. God wants you to experience him. But you're gonna have to say, all right, Lord, I will follow you. Now, here, here's what's gonna have to happen, though. You gotta understand what you're getting into when you do that. First, I, I want you to think about this. Jesus came from heaven into a broken world. And he sent the disciples, go into that broken world and make disciples. But he said, hey, take heart though. You're gonna face many trials. Well, why are you gonna face trials? Because you're going into a world of broken people. And because even though you're saved and I love you, you're still tweaked. If you're anything like me, and I know you are, you have your own sinful nature. God forgives me for my sin. He gave me the Holy Spirit who now lives inside of me, but there's a conflict that goes in me. And a lot of my problems, as I go into this broken world, a lot of my problems are, are, are because I'm wherever I am. Wherever I go, there I am. And I make mistakes wherever I go. And I make a lot less mistakes than I used to. I used to just be, you know, as stupid as you could be. But as time goes by, you start to, he starts to shape you and change you. But still, I bring a, a complicated problem with me wherever I go. So this side of heaven, when you go into a broken world and you're still broken, there's going to be problems. But you have the Holy Spirit of God and you're moving into this world, even though you're changing, you're moving into this world and you're going to the battle. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. See, Jesus left heaven and he went and he sought out issues. See, we Christians, we go, if Jesus comes into my life, isn't he gonna you know, take away all those problems? Is he, yes, he helps you grow so that you create less problems for yourself, but you're sent into the mission field where the devil controls the territory. It's been captured, Second Peter or Second Timothy 2. It's been captured by the enemy to do his will. We're the light going into the darkness. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. See, wrestling is a biblical sport. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. We go into enemy territory. Jesus calls us to go in a, in a peaceless world and to bring peace into it. To go in and face the battle. To be a part of the battle. See, that's totally different than most Christians think. Isn't he supposed to take away the problems? Isn't he supposed to clear the way? Well, the scripture says, no, they're, they're, until Jesus returns, you live in a broken world. Yes, he says, in this life, you will face many trials. Take heart, I've overcome the world. He says, I, my peace, I leave you, not as the world leaves. See, see, the world's trying to eliminate any problems. Jesus goes into the problems and it's inner peace that we bring with us as we join his will. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? As we go into the world, we'll face opposition. We'll be different. We'll be, we'll be 
charged with bigotry when we stick up for what God's word actually says and believe that everything he says is for people's good. He loves them so much that he won't give them what they want. It's not really love when you know somebody's doing something that's gonna hurt them and hurt others, but you go, all right, go, go right ahead. I would never do that. That's not a good parent. A good parent doesn't go, hey, you really wanna touch that stove? You go right ahead. I'll help you. Let me, give me your hand. As, a, as we start to go into the world, we'll be seen as different. But we bring peace, not, not as the world gives it, peace with the Father through Jesus Christ. We become peacemakers. Now, here's what I want I, I, I want you to think about this. Jesus gave us a great illustration of it. You remember, Jesus is walking through Jericho and you know the story in, in, the, in the workbook, they give the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a Jew who worked for the Romans. He was hated by his own people because he was considered a traitor. And, and so Jesus is going through town and, he, and he's, he's, he's healing people. He's, he's doing things that, are, that get him in trouble with the Pharisees, but he doesn't care. He's about doing the will of God. And so he's, he's doing these things and he sees Zacchaeus in the tree. Why Zacchaeus in the tree? Well, Zacchaeus is in the tree because he's short. That's part of it, but that's not the biggest reason. Zacchaeus is a traitor, and if he gets in with the crowd of Jews looking at Jesus go by, the zealots are known for taking swords, walking up behind traitors and killing them. He would never put himself in the position to be with the Jews around him. That's a dangerous place to be. Why is he there? Well, he's wealthy, he's rich, he's got all this stuff, but there's something missing in his life. The Holy Spirit has been working on him. He's heard that Matthew was a tax collector, one of Jesus' disciples. And he's thinking to himself, maybe if Jesus is the Messiah, he let Matthew in? Maybe. And Jesus is walking by and he looks up in the tree and he goes, man, I know if I go to that guy's house, I'm breaking all the Jewish protocol and people are going to say, you can't go to his house. He's a tax collector. I know he's a problem, but he's looking for God. Look at the effort he's making to see who I am. God has been, remember Jesus said, I, I join the father. The, I, the father is always working and I do what the father wants me to do. I'm not, I know people are gonna be mad. I know my own disciples aren't gonna understand this. That man's looking for God. Jesus went up to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down for I'm going to your house today. See, if you want to be a part of God's will, then a couple of things need to happen. You need to know that he's always working. You need to know that you, he knew the numbers of hairs on your head. You didn't come to faith without his interaction with you. And the same God who knew you and brought you to him so that you could make a decision. You had to make it, but he, he was interacting in this. The same God who know, knew you before knows you now. He wants to use you wherever you work, live, and play. The question is, will you join him? Look to see where he's working. Somebody's drawing. There's a problem. Jesus saw a problem, and he went to the problem. He didn't avoid it. He didn't say, I'm just so busy on my journey from Jericho to wherever that I'm just going to, that, that would take time. That interrupts my plans. He's like, no, I, I'm going to look to see where God is working. That's usually going to mean it takes me on a different course than I would have chosen. But 
I, he's inviting me into something supernatural, something eternal, and I will join him where he's working. Which means a couple of things. First, it means that when you wake up in the morning, you have a default screen. You guys know what a default screen on a computer is? When I turn on my computer, I have a default screen that comes up. You guys all have that? You know what in the gym computer, gym life is? The default screen comes up and it says, gym. It's all about gym. When you guys wake up, do you guys, you, you go, man, what do I want to do today? What do I have to do today? What do I, see, walking with Jesus means that God knows me by name. He bought me for a price. He saved me for a purpose. And, and that's not what normally comes up with, when I wake up in the morning. It's usually flesh and I have to sit down with the word of God. I have to sit down in prayer and I have to say, Lord Jesus, not my will, yours be done. Help me, God. Help me to wrestle through. I've got all these plans not all my plans are your plans for my day, Lord. Help me to see what you see. Say, I can't see what he sees in my human mind. I can't prioritize his things in the flesh. I'll see problems, diversions, distractions from my plan as the problem. What does it look like to go, God? Help me to see the ones you're humbling and bringing to their knees. Help me to see the real problems when somebody comes in and acts rude. Help me to see that it's not a personal thing between me and them. There's something going on in them. Help me to see what you're doing. Help me to, to care. I'm going to have to die to do that. And then secondly, I'm going to have to open up my eyes all day long. We, we pray and we walk by, the, by faith, not by sight. Help me to see the world as you see it. And then give me the strength and the wisdom to step into situations so that I can bring peace rather than avoiding them as if they're the problem. God is asking you. He's giving you the opportunity to be involved with him, which means that you're going to have to look to see what he cares about and what he's doing, which is different than what the world cares about, different than what your flesh cares about. What does he care about? then join him. And I want you to know this. It could be the smallest thing and it looks so small. It looks so small to walk over there and make sure that person's okay. It looks so small to look past an offense and show kindness. It looks, I mean, what's the big deal? But I want you to know this. God doesn't do insignificant. He only does significant. If he's inviting you into something, He's going to walk with you and you're going to experience him. That's what I want for you because then you get to be a part of something eternal. That's, that's an experience rather than just head knowledge, a transfer of information, a, a check of a box. I want you to experience all God has for you because you know I think one of the saddest stories in the New Testament is when the rich young ruler came to Jesus. Why did he come? Well, because what he had, he's rich, he, but it's just not enough. He's like, what else must I do? What do I do? Jesus said, go sell your stuff and come and follow me. You know, the saddest part of that is the reason he came is because what he had wasn't enough, but he settled for what he had rather than walking with Jesus. Think of the things he missed. 
because he didn't experience God, because he wouldn't, you can't stay where you are, keep what you got and go with him at the same time. What you, he, what wasn't enough kept him from, from having what he could have had. How many of you would have li- would like to experience being with Jesus, walking on the water, doing miraculous things? Listen, there's nothing better than that, but it means you make a choice. Join him in what he's doing. We're going to take communion right now. And here's what communion's all about. They're going to pass it out. We're going to ask you to hold it. And we're going to take it together. But while they're doing that right now, I want to give you a couple of things to think about. Communion is a picture, just like baptism is a picture of dying to Christ, being raised to walk in newness of life. Communion is a picture And it's handed to you. And as it goes by, guess what you have to do? If you're a Christian, it means that you recognize that you have to receive what he gives you. And so they're going to pass that out and you have to decide to take it. If you're not a Christian, it means you haven't received something that represents his body and his blood. But if you are a Christian, it means you took it because you knew the only way you could be saved is if Jesus was offered in your stead. And so you take it, you receive it. And as you receive it, communion is a picture of internalizing something, not just, wow, look at that. No, I'm going to receive it. I'm going to take that body that was that, 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 that piece of bread that represents his body, and I'm going to eat it. I'm going to internalize it. I'm going to drink the, the juice. I'm going to internalize it. I'm going to receive it. Now, I want you to know that, that when you receive it, this... This symbol, this picture represents what God gave for us and what we were given, but I want you to know this. It's also in the form of food. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So when you take Jesus in and you remember what he's done for you, this food, this spiritual food, as you reflect on that, it gives you the strength to do spiritual things things. There's physical food that powers your body physically, helps you have strength to work, helps you have strength to fight off sickness and and all the things for your immune system. Spiritual food is something you internalize so that you can be about your father's business. Spiritual food empowers you spiritually so that you can do what God has for you to do. So today, what you're doing is you're saying several things. First, I needed Jesus to die for me. Second, look at all the people. I'm not alone. I mean, there may not be as many of us as there used to be, but doggone it, there's still a bunch of us that no matter what, we all proclaim the Lord's death. We're all believers, and we make that stand. So there's, there's I receive it. I'm not alone. Look at all of us that are doing this together. But thirdly, I receive it so that I can be about my father. Father's business, joining him in what he's doing. Does this make sense to you? Communion isn't just something you just quickly do. It's no big deal. It, it, this, we need, unless you abide in Christ, you cannot bear fruit, spiritual fruit. And so we take this together. Would you just bow your heads for a minute? In the quietness of your heart, would you just... Maybe you've never accepted Christ. Why not do it right now? 
come into my life, Jesus. But I'm not just a convert, I'm a disciple. So you've got to go, all right, Lord, I need somebody to come around me to show me what does it look like to hear God's voice. You can't learn that in one sermon or one series of sermons. You need spiritual relationship that helps you go. That's why we want you to get into a life group, a home group, some sort of group where people can help you start to see and discern the will of God, can help you start to figure out how does this scar I have in my life become a monument to Jesus' grace. You need that. Some of you have been hearing God's call in your life, but maybe you missed it. You saw somebody at work that irritated you. Somebody at school who's, who's, who's got it, they're messed up and you just walked around it. Right now, you need to go, Lord, I know you saved me for a purpose. You saved me from something for something. Help me to do your will with spiritual strength. Your Holy Spirit filling me, your word guiding me. This bread represents Christ's body. He died in our stead. He was battered for us. This reconcile, his, his act, if we receive it, reconciles us to the Father. Let's eat this in remembrance of him. This represents his blood that was spilled so that ours doesn't have to be. Let's drink this in remembrance of him. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for working and drawing, empowering. Lord, we want to walk with you. It's not always easy on this planet, but it is in eternity. We want to be about your business because that's where supernatural, amazing things happen. But Lord, we're tempted. We're lured by the world. We struggle inside. Give us strength. Remember, remind us what you did for us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.